You want Chinese? They want pizza. Someone in the back is craving sushi. What do you do? Well, there's something for everyone on DoorDash. And you need to continue to support restaurants in your community safely. And there are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Support your favorite restaurants on DoorDash. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code ADVANTAGE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ADVANTAGE. Don't forget, that's code ADVANTAGE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another morning edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. The NHL playoffs relentlessly move forward. I'm going to use relentlessly a number of times in our conversation this morning with Heath Jones because, Keith, I, I know that you're relentless about your work. And, of course, the New York Islanders, I'm not sure there's a better word to describe them than relentless, but... Thanks for coming to hang out with us. My my understanding is you're you're in lovely Connecticut. Uh, I, I take it you're probably not straying too far from the studio these days in in Connecticut. Yeah, that's true. It is, it's kind of weird for sure, but to the hotel and kind of from the hotel to the studios is basically what it is. I mean, there is a lot of outdoor eating establishments around the hotel. Um, which are very busy, but I've uh, I've avoided them for the most part and just kind of done the room service thing and just kind of stayed focused on keeping everybody healthy that we're going into the studio with. Yeah, well, I mean, like we've talked to, you know, I talked to the Flyers coaching staff in the bubble and we, you know, we were talking to Johnny Forslund just before he headed into Toronto. And I, I wonder when you started this, and you you know you look at the schedule and you look at what it's going to be like and you know you're doing panel work you're doing some color is it different than you thought it was going to be given the volume of games like it is it, like the schedule is relentless and i wonder if it's different than you thought it was going to be it, it's it is what i thought it would be and i guess experience from covering the olympics kind of prepared me for it it's very similar to an olympic format especially the you know, the qualifying round and the round robin games that were taking place because everything was coming so fast. And it was an entire day of wake up, head to the studio and get ready for, you know, a whole bunch of games. And I think we all love games. I don't, I don't think anybody is a huge fan of watching a team practice on the off day and then come and get ready for the game the next night. The fact that there was game after game after game really made it interesting. And under these circumstances, after sitting around wondering when hockey was going to come back for four and a half months, it was refreshing to have something to do and uh, reunite with some of the people that we're used to seeing when we go to work under, obviously, stranger conditions than we've ever seen before. But it's it's been a, a real positive, actually, based upon what was taking place prior to returning to work. 
Yeah. And I, I'm just curious, the transition for you, you know, if you have an assignment, like last night you did the color on that Islander Philly game. Um, you've done, you do lots of panel work. Is, is the preparation different if you know, okay, here's what I'm doing tonight for this game as opposed to, you know, if I'm going to be in with Catherine and Patrick Sharp or whoever, you know, on the panel thing, do you have to, do you have to have a different mindset when you approach the different duties that you have? To be honest, they're, they're very different, but the approach is the same. It's just watching as many games as you can possibly see. I'm a big believer in, and a big person who trusts my own vision and my own viewpoint based upon what I see. And I, I'm not great at uh, taking other people's opinions and turning them into my own. So I have to see it. I just can't hear that somebody played well and then go on the air and pretend like I, I know that that person had a good game. So it's all about watching the games, and that's really – my approach to doing this job whenever I do it. Well, that's a great transition. And, and let's take a, let's discuss the game you did last night. And, and it was game. I was really curious to see, you know, both, you know, Philly coming off a, I think a much harder time than a lot of people thought they would have against Montreal in the first round going six games, obviously. And then, you know, the Islanders may be the same on the other side of the coin, really handling Washington and, and ultimately costing Todd Reardon, the head coach in Washington, his job. Um, and I was curious just to see how both teams would approach game one of that second round series because, they're, to me, they're sort of similar and, you know, maybe, you know, styles that, you know, we were going to see, you know, which team would be able to exert itself on the other. And, and of course, the Islanders came away with a 4 nothing victory. Uh, were you surprised by it or, or given what you'd seen of both teams, was that sort of what you thought might happen? Yeah, it's exactly the latter. It's after watching what the Islanders did to the Capitals and how they played against the Florida Panthers, I don't think there can be any surprise that they played as well as they did last night. For the Flyers, it was, you know, if you're a Flyers fan, you're hoping that they find their game and make this series interesting. But based upon what I saw in the series against Montreal, I was not surprised that the Flyers didn't put a full 60 minutes together because they really haven't. Uh, with the exception of the three round robin games uh, against really some quality opponents, uh, but the the round against Montreal they they didn't play well, Scott. So it's not shocking based upon the eye test watching both teams play for you know the last couple of weeks. The Islanders have been the better team, but you're always curious to see how that plays out when both teams hit the ice against each other. It, it, to me, this Flyer team is fascinating, and maybe because I, I spent some time there in training camp and, you know, spent some time with the coaching staff. And I remember sitting down with Claude Giroux, who I think had just had, uh, just had a baby at the uh, just before training camp, and he talked very candidly about, you know, his legacy as a Flyers captain and the disappointments over the years of not being able to go on deep playoff runs. And, man, that there are a lot of high-profile flyers who, who just haven't got there yet. You know, Sean Couture, zero goals. Claude Giroux, zero goals. Uh, Travis Konechny, uh, zero goals. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk, who's been a healthy scratch, wasn't in the lineup last night. Uh, you know, zero goals for him, zero points. Is this, so, like, you see this team an awful lot, Keith, and I wonder, is this kind of a referendum on the leadership as this series goes on? 
Uh, or, I mean, can you look at it like that, given all the different circumstances of returning to play in the bubble and playing playoff hockey in August? Yeah, I, I get. I do think it's the latter more than what we were, what you were mentioning before that, Scott. It's the the fact that these guys played as well as they did all regular season, and then to see that they're not getting the production now tells me it's more about the circumstances than it is about the the character or the lack of will of the, those players. I mean, these are guys that obviously want to win. And there's they're, they're players that have great character, especially Sean Couturier. That's the one mystery to me right now. Like that, when I look at Sean Couturier, I start to wonder about injury because at this time of year, he excels. He, he has consistently been very good uh, when the spotlight has been the brightest. So that one's a little bit surprising to me. Um, for Giroux, it's a big, this is a big series for him. Anders Lee has turned into a terrific captain on the other side for the Islanders. And Giroux has, you know, been a long tenured captain for the Flyers, kind of like not to the same extent as Ovechkin with all his great talents, but similar in the regards of trying to get some playoff success while you're leading a team. And Ovechkin eventually broke through and got a Stanley Cup, but Giroux has uh, got a lot on uh, a lot on his shoulders and hasn't played up to his potential yet. So the the heat will start to fall on Claude, and that's uh, he's going to need some help from his teammates, the other guys that aren't scoring. But a lot of it in Philadelphia will start to fall on the captain. Yeah, no, I, I I'm I still think that series is, you know, there's lots of twists and turns I think ahead there. But frankly, I thought the same thing about the Islanders' capital. So what do I know? But uh, Keith, I, I'm going to let you go in just a second. But we're going to take a very brief break, and when we come back, I want to ask you about the Boston Tampa series, and then we'll let you get back to your morning in Connecticut. So, but don't go away. We'll be right back. Keith, you, uh, you talk about you know the. The, the best players with the Islanders, Anders Lee doing a great job there. Maybe some of the pressure that will build on some of the Flyers' high-profile players. I wonder if you think the same kind of dynamic will start to rear its head in that Boston-Tampa series. We'll see Game 2 this evening. Uh, game 1, Boston's best players came and, and, and really you know sort of set the tone as the Bruins got up 3 nothing. They held on for a 3-2 victory. Do, do you think that there, we're going to start to hear more about, well, you know, where's Nikita Kucherov? Uh, where's uh, where are some of the other uh, Tampa leaders? We know that Steven Stamkos isn't in the lineup and won't be uh, for the foreseeable future. But I wonder if, you know, that's going to be part of that narrative as we've got two of the best teams in the NHL playing in the second round in that series with the Bruins already up one nothing. I'm I'm not feeling like it's going to be. And I'll tell you why. Kucherov has picked up some key points along the way including the three assists and the comeback win against Columbus to get rid of a team that was becoming a real nemesis for them. Uh, He has played a more spirited game. He has had some aggressiveness to his game. And the supporting cast around him is very good. And it's gritty. And when you look around on the bench or on the ice and see the guys that you're playing with have a little edge to their game, it has a tendency to not just insulate you, but force you to play a little bit differently to make sure you're not letting them down. So I think there's enough internal pressure there that he's going to, you know, live up to the challenge. And obviously he's very capable of doing that. Braden points the other leader, and he's been nothing but spectacular in key moments for Tampa so far during this whole 
uh, tournament slash Stanley Cup final or playoff. So I liked enough of what I saw in their comeback against Boston, although the Bruins' top guys were fabulous. The Tampa still managed to get a couple goals on the board late, both from Hedman, and that's obviously a positive sign. But they showed me enough that I don't think they're going away in this series. I think it's going to be a very competitive series. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think back to well, it's a couple of years ago. Maybe it was 18. That dude, my memory is always a bit foggy on these things. But the last time these two teams played in, in Boston uh, was very good in that first game. And then the Bolts came back and won four straight. So I, there's there's certainly some history there. And I, and I do like that there's, you know, the, these are, you know, two teams that have uh, that I think it's going to be easy for them to build a dislike for each other. And especially, as you mentioned, Keith, that, you know, this is a much sort of edgier Tampa team than we saw a year ago in the playoffs. So I, I, my expectation is that, um, that we're going to see some intense dislike before this series is, it gets over with. I'm not sure if you agree or not. I, I absolutely agree. And I think the last game of the regular season prior to the pause that both teams participated in, kind of gives us that uh, idea that they don't mind getting in there and dropping the gloves if they have to and causing havoc, which makes for great playoff fodder. So I think we're all looking forward to seeing how this uh, series progresses. And I, uh, of all the series, I think it's going to go the longest. So uh, I think we're going to get some entertainment value out of this one. Good thing. Just before I let you go, I'm curious. What do you, you know, it, you, you're working it, so you live the schedule. But do you like the idea of what the NHL and and presumably with the uh, blessing of the NHLPA have done in terms of how these schedules are, are rolling out? We're going to see Boston, Tampa go back to back today and tomorrow. My memory is uh, correct on that point. Every, all the teams will have at some point the potential for back to backs, depending on how long they go. Do you like that? Do you like because it does? I, to me, at least, it, it challenges coaches, goaltending assignments, players coming in and out of the lineup. It, it is a much more compressed schedule. Maybe it's going back to your original point about the Olympic feel. But do you like the idea that it's, it is like that, that we don't have these two days off between uh, series that we often see because of the travel and television requirements and things like that? It, it's working right now under these circumstances, Scott, but it's not ideal. It'd be like the equivalent of you know, an NFL playoff game taking place on a Sunday and the next one being on a Wednesday. I mean, you're, you're asking a lot of these players and you're digging into your depth and really you're digging into your depth and goal. And I think we saw that with the Avalanche and, and losing their top netminder. So uh, that's the risk of this, the risk of injury and, you know, pushing guys beyond uh, what their bodies are capable to do. But for entertainment value, it's awesome. For us that just have to show up in the studio and talk about games, it's ideal because we're moving through this thing quickly. But I, I give the players a lot of credit for getting out there and trying to perform under these adverse circumstances because it's it's not easy. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't think we can lose sight of how much those guys are doing to try to get out there and entertain us at the same time. It's not under perfect circumstances. Yeah. Well said, my friend. Well said. And, and Keith, as always, a pleasure to chat with you. And you should watch Keith Jones every night, as it turns out, during the Stanley Cup playoffs on NBC Sports Network and NBC. Keith, be well. Stay safe. Uh, uh, I, I, listen, you're doing an excellent job of staying away from too much of those outdoor cafes <laughs> around the hotel. So it'll keep, keep up the good work, my friend. I appreciate it, Scott. Take care, buddy. Always good to catch up with you. 
All right. Thank you. And when we come back from a brief break, we will be chatting with Mike McKenna, longtime NHL professional goaltender and now one of the brightest minds in the analysis business. And we will be chatting with him when we come back in a moment. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe TM technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. Can't be too safe there, can you? You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology, while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. You need to try this out for yourself. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's right. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Remember, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose. Always use the right tools for the job. Mike McKenna. And listen, when just before I, I continue to pump your tires uh, for this segment, uh, thank you so much for getting up uh, early. People don't may not may not know this, but you are in the blazing sun in Nevada doing fine work covering the Vegas Golden Knights and, and their second round series against the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, listen, I'm not much of a math guy, but I do know it's early in the morning for you. So thank you so much for getting up and hanging out with us. <laughs> no big deal. You know, it's only a balmy 90 degrees right now in Las Vegas uh, at 6.18 in the morning. So uh, you got to get your workouts in early if you're going to do them. Anything past about 10 o'clock is indoor weather out here. <laughs> well, I'm just curious. Obviously, we'll talk some goaltending. We'll talk the Golden Knights. But um, what, I'm just curious, like, what's the vibe like in Vegas? You know, at one point it looked like we might we being some you know american based reporters maybe me personally you know thought that one of the bubbles was going to be in vegas uh i wonder you know as you've you've gone back and forth uh between vegas and your home in st louis during this uh, postseason what's the city like what what like what's it like around vegas these days it's kind of a strange dynamic right now if you were to go and walk the strip which there isn't a big reason to right now <laughs> It's just dead. It's a ghost town. Uh, I mean, there's still some people wandering around. There are some of the casinos open, but it's not at the level it was pre-pause by any stretch, nowhere even near it. Uh, a lot of the places are dark. It's just strange to see all the lights and all the themed hotels basically without people. But then if you go out towards the actual city of Las Vegas, it's much more normal. You know, people are going about their lives. They're They're managing to find how to get to work, whether remote or at the office. I mean, I ran into traffic the other day at four in the afternoon. So uh, kind of a strange dynamic. I suspect that's similar in a lot of cities, but it's really exacerbated by being such a tourist town here. And, you know, there's not as many flights going off as you usually expect. I mean, you, normally you can look up and see a, 
747 in the sky at any moment, and that's not the case now. So uh, just different times. Well, it's uh, it is fascinating. I mean, that, and you know, Keith is going through it, and you know, people. We had Darren Pang on yesterday. People in your line of work who are, you know, telling the stories of these games and these playoffs and having to do it remotely. It's um, you know, listen, it's it, it's not ideal, but it is incredible as we go through the NHL announcing yesterday again a uh, series of. Um, tests no positive tests for COVID in either bubble city it's really kind of remarkable that we got to this point and it allows us to chat about the mechanics of the game and I, I don't know if you heard my question to Keith at the end but I thought it was a good way to start with you given your history as a goaltender um, the back-to-backs and the scheduling now it I think it does challenge coaches on a whole bunch of different levels you know I think Alain Vigneault is going to have some lineup questions he's going to have to answer to try and get back in, in the series against the Islanders. The Bruins are about to go into back-to-back. Uh, as a goaltender, I mean, how – like, we almost never see it, right? We It's so rare to see goaltenders in the NHL now go back-to-back, let alone go back-to-back in the playoffs. What do you make of that dynamic, and, and what kind of challenges does it provide for coaches and for the goaltenders themselves? It's almost become taboo that a goaltender can't play two games in a row on consecutive evenings. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, there's reason for this. The analytics crowd has taken all that data and realized that the person that starts the first game of, the, of a consecutive back-to-back is not as good in the second night. It's just reality. So that's it, it's placed emphasis on making sure that you do play both goaltenders if you have that availability and option to do so but then again the goalies all have pride like we want to play we want to play every game and you know we're not going to be able to shake a little bit of fatigue out of our minds it's it it just goes to the back of it and like truly Scott I've been in a situation where you know playing in the minors I'd played three and three previously you know and it's really like three and two and a half now a lot of that's because maybe you don't have a backup at the time that's that's been there a while, whatever the case may be, if a coach thinks you're rolling. So, you know, we're capable of doing a lot more than is, is, is expected at times, but the, the numbers don't lie either. So um, the, the, the condensed schedule is such a challenge for goaltenders, especially because it's not just the back-to-backs. It's, it's every other day. You know, you're going five and eight, six and nine. It's just a lot of hockey. And if you have two goaltenders that are capable of that, that's a nice luxury, um, especially now that we've kind of broken the seal, it seems like, that coaches are now finally on board with, okay, we can actually play both goaltenders in a back-to-back in a, in a planned manner and not just plan on riding the hot hand, which is for so long was the, the phrase associated with goaltending. We're going to play the hot hand. Uh, and now that it's being looked at from a more analytical bent. Well, now, do you think that, I mean, it would seem logical that if your team is doing well and maybe you have a bit of a cushion in a series, that maybe that in fact influences what a coach does? We saw it in the first round with Vegas and Chicago, right? I mean, Vegas is up, Robin Leonard's the starter, Marc-Andre Fleury comes in. All right. Now, if you are in a position, you know, whatever, you know, whatever confronts Elaine Vigneault in Philadelphia, if they're down... Do you go to Brian Elliott ahead of Carter Hart, who's been spectacular, because you can't aff- you can't afford to take a step back, and not that any team is expecting to lose or you know feels that 
it doesn't matter if they win a particular game in a series. But do you think that how much does that play into it? The the cushion that you've built yourself in and all and, and I want to talk about the Dallas series more in depth because you and I both know that team very well. But you know, there's Dallas up two nothing on Colorado. Anton Hudobin, you know, is it has played so well, um, but without Ben Bishop there. Um, you know, you've got Ottinger now as the backup, never played in the NHL. Again, there's so it strikes me there's so many dynamics that will go into play on what to do with goaltending in these back to backs that it's that maybe there isn't an obvious blueprint. Yes, for sure we won't make our goalie go back to back. Does that make sense? No, it's it's always malleable for sure. I mean, we already saw it in the first round with um it's tough to label these rounds, right, with the qualifiers and the round right. robins. Uh, I believe this was the official first round of playoffs, but with Vegas and Chicago, and Crawford was going no matter what. You know, they weren't right. going to play yeah. anyone other than Corey Crawford in that series, and he did play back-to-back. And in the back uh, half of that set, played the best game I've ever seen him play. Went 48 right. for 49, stood on his head, and <laughs> chucked all the conventional wisdom out the window. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was it was a pretty impressive game to watch, um, but I, I do think though, like when you look at Dallas, that's a different scenario where Anton Hudobin is the guy, no matter what, unless he is injured. You know, and that's right. just the way it's going to be, uh, and that's not a knock on Jake Ottinger, who is a really nice prospect who's made great strides within that organization, working with Jim Bedard in Texas. Uh, working with Jeff Reese up top in Dallas, the goalie coaches with the Stars uh, organization. I know they're happy with Ottinger's progress, but you're not going to chuck them in on the back back end of a back-to-back in any playoff scenario. Uh, that's why you pay your goalies the money to be able to do that if they have to. And I mean, Hudobin's responded too. What's so impressive is that he knows he is the guy. He, he is the man who will be relied on no matter what, and he's performing. Sometimes there's other, there's people who will go the opposite direction in that. If they don't feel like they have a security blanket, um, they they lose they lose their confidence in their ability to perform for the team. And he's he's done the opposite. And Hudobin has really done a nice job of being able to, to to carry that load more so than he's ever done all season. Do you think the same dynamic exists for Colorado? And you know, in a series where the two I use my air quotes here, the two backups are now the men. Uh, because of injuries to the starting netminders uh, in, in Philip Grubauer in Colorado and Ben Bishop in, in Dallas. Pavel Francouz, is, is he going to give way to Michael Hutchinson uh, in any circumstance other than an injury, as, as you just described, for Hudobin? Or do you think that's a little different dynamic now that the Avs are down to nothing? Yeah, well, it's down, it's a different dynamic to me in the first place because they have Michael Hutchinson, who at least has a lot of NHL experience. Um, I know his latest go-rounds in the NHL were probably not what he wanted or what was expected at times, but Hutchinson's a good goalie you can play. I mean, he can perform in the NHL um, if they need him to. But that being said, he hasn't been a main component of that Colorado roster this season. You know, when you're picked up as a, as a trade as you, and you haven't gotten many games, um, I'm sure they would go to him if needed, but I would have to think that they'd want to stick with Francois, who was so good all season long. I mean, last night wasn't um, wasn't really what I expected, truthfully. I, I thought that Pavel Francois would be come in and maybe even be better than Philip Grubauer. Um, but, you know, it's it kind of remains to be seen. Can that happen? Hutchinson, you know, again, they could go to him, but then you've got a, a Boston out there also who's got 
uh, Vladar, who hasn't played NHL minutes at all. Great prospect by all means, but you don't know what you have. So uh, there's the familiarity factor, I think, that, that really drives these decisions. Yeah. Well, we are going to see game two of Vegas, Vancouver. Um, let's start with the, you know, the obvious uh, the story in, in Vegas in terms of the goaltending. And uh, uh, obviously, whatever was going on outside the rink, uh, it didn't seem to bother Robin Leonard at all as he pitched a shutout in game one. And, it, you know, it strikes me that Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard have nothing but the utmost respect for each other and spent a lot of time around Marc-Andre Fleury over the years. And uh, I, I'm just wondering, as a goaltender, do we sometimes make too much of the relationships between starter and backup? Or is it really important that, that whatever's going on, whatever white noise there may be beyond the rink, that it is important that the two goaltenders on a team, especially in a playoff run, do have each other's back, do have some relationship that that isn't a, a, a negative thing going on? What's really important for people to think about here is that goaltenders are teammates, first and foremost. They're not rivals. It's so often made that one goaltender is facing the other goaltender on his team for playing time and who's going to win it and they're battling it out and they're rivals and your teammates. So naturally as a competitor, you want to play games. You don't want to sit on the bench. That's not why we put 50 pounds worth of gear on to just toss a backup towel and sit there and open the gate and cheer the guys on. You want to be part of the team. But then again, you also have to have the selflessness and humility to realize that you may be end, end up in the net at any moment, even if you're backing up, and you need to be ready to do your job. And you also may get a chance down the line. If the other goaltender doesn't perform well, if he's injured, they may need you. It's a team game. And I, I think that that dynamic is so lost on people because they see it as this interpersonal rivalry within a team. It's not like that. Like You have to be your goalie partner's biggest supporter. Robin Leonard heard him say that at one point. Mark Andre Fleury is my biggest supporter. And you know, that's that was kind of the and that's how I always tried to play the game. You know, I felt like the only other person on the team so often growing up that knew what was going on, how I could potentially be feeling was my goalie partner. They've been through it. They know. Most coaches don't know. And most coaches uh, are quick to blame goaltenders. Uh, a lot of fan bases are too. We know that. <laughs> but but you also have to have thick skin and get used to it, man. You chose to be a goalie. That comes with the territory. It's just nice to be able to have a goalie partner that you can really confide in and you pump each other up. And if you're constantly battling out, if the best guy's playing, then you're making the team better. You have to make sure that you're pushing each other and you're enjoying it at the same time because it's, it's not a fun dynamic if you don't get along. And thankfully, I only had... I mean, I think I only had one goalie partner that I didn't over all my years of hockey. So uh, I think most guys understand that role pretty well. Well, if there's a way to diffuse any kind of external storyline or narrative or things that could be perceived as a distraction, I I would think that the Golden Knights probably had the best response possible, which was not only Robin Leonard pitching a shutout, but a really dominating performance against a very good and, and, and emerging Vancouver Canucks team. And, and I'm fascinated to see what you think in terms of, you know, how you think Vancouver will adjust. This is, they lost the first game of the play-in round against Minnesota, didn't look particularly ready to go, and then reeled off three straight victories there. They bounced back nicely after St. Louis came back in that first round to tie that series at 2-2, and it looked like maybe, you know, that 
they might be ready to be, you know, sort of might have hit a wall of, of some kind. But it strikes me that this is Vegas is a different level altogether in terms of what Vancouver is facing. And I wonder what kind of challenges you think that makes for Travis Green, Jacob Markstrom and the rest of that team as they try and stay keep pace with Vegas. Well, I mean, as you know, first and foremost, I do have close interpersonal knowledge of that Vancouver team being a member of it for two days last season. Um, <laughs> do you, do you, where's your Vancouver jersey? Is it hanging, or did you even get one? Did you get the great? No, it's my great white whale. Uh, it is somewhere <laughs> out in the world. At this point, I think whoever has that jersey must know that I'd like to have it back, and they're either embarrassed that they don't want to come forward. I, I don't know. I, I would really like to have that jersey because it it. It is representative of such a unique time in my life, however brief it was. Yes. Um, <laughs> in any case, the task at hand, um, you know, I think we saw Vancouver's worst game, and I think we saw Vegas's best game in game one around two. I would expect it to be much closer due to adjustments, due to really the expectation of getting into battle and realizing what you're up against. You know, Vegas is a different animal. To me, St. Louis looked like they didn't want to be there. They were good at spurts. That was carried by their talent. Uh, and Vancouver preyed on that. They were great in transition. Their power play was outstanding. You know, St. Louis spent too much time in the box. Well, Vegas is really disciplined. I mean, they only committed one minor last game. They gave the Vancouver Canucks one power play, and they were able to completely shut it down. They pressured Hughes. They made sure that Pedersen wasn't available on a one-timer. You know. The Vancouver Big Dogs hardly had any shots. I think Horvat might have had two, but I think it was Besser, Hughes, uh, and Pedersen between them, either zero or one shot the whole game. That's not going to cut it. So they're generating their shots from the point, which is great, but then they weren't getting any secondary opportunities. So the the theme of the last game, of game one to me, was just how fast and heavy and in-your-face Vegas played. And you saw it through the lineup. I mean... Riley Smith had a point a game in playoffs, and he's still getting hits every shift. And big, like meaningful hits. And it's an undercover part of his game that people don't notice. And it's through the lineup, Marsha so with hits. It's not just the fourth line that everyone thinks of with Carrier and Reeves creating havoc on the ice. And they did plenty of that. I mean, Reeves is <laughs> openly laughing at his opponents on the ice. You know, there is such an air of confidence there. So... Um, Vancouver's going to have to find a way to, one, create their own energy against a team that's very heavy, and they can't go to the box. Like, to me, uh, there was a hit on Edler early in the game. He takes a retaliatory penalty, and that set the tone for the rest of it. Vancouver was out of it from there. And I think it was a mental thing, too. I think there's an intimidation factor. So um, Vancouver has to find a way to get through the neutral zone better. They can't think flipping pucks over Vegas is going to be the best way for them to possess the puck because that's ultimately what it comes down to. You need your best players to lead your team to be your best players, and to do that, they have to have the puck. So um, they're going to have to be better through the neutral zone. They're going to have to try to establish some form of presence in the offensive zone. It, it, I'm fascinated by this Vancouver team because, it, I mean, I'm old. I, I covered Travis Green when he was playing with the Leafs, and, you know, it's been interesting to watch his, you know, his career. To me, he's one of those, you know, I don't think people understand just how what a nice job he's done in Vancouver and, you know, sort of a little bit under the radar, I think, and, and really biding his time and learning his craft in and, and, and the American Hockey League, all those kinds of things. Uh, but this is really going to be a test for, for he and this line. 
lineup. I, I I'm I'm excited by it because we've already seen. Listen, Vegas went has already gone through this process, right, of exceeding expectations, and and now the expectations are higher for them. So they're almost on two different. You know, it's like Vegas was two years ago. That's maybe a little bit where Vancouver was, not an expansion team, obviously. But I wonder if you see some of that. You know, young team trying to figure out just how good they are, and and a team now that has a ton of expectations like Vegas does now. They're no longer the new kids on the block, and they are expected to to win these kinds of series. There's a ton of joy to the way Vancouver played up until the first game of round two. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I mean, that was a drubbing. I, that was a straight-up drubbing. But uh, watching them play the, the qualifying round, the first round with St. Louis, the smiles on their face, the fun they were having – it was almost kind of the gee whiz, look at us moment where you look around the room and go, man, we, maybe we really can be for real. And, you know, you start to feed into that. I've been on teams that went on long playoff runs that didn't have expectations, that kind of snuck, in, snuck into playoffs, then we started to play well, and then it was like that switch flipped in our brain that, man, we could really do this. You know, let's, let's have fun. Let's go. And I kind of felt that with Vancouver. Uh, I know people have made comparisons to Chicago in their early years. Um, yeah. and, and I can see that with certain stars on their team, with Hughes and with Pedersen, um, kind of being comparables to, you know, Keith or Kane or whoever you would take. Um, right. but, but now it's, it's pretty serious now, and it got serious quick because they weren't in game one at all. And Vegas is – the determination level to what Vegas is doing – is scary to me because they know they're good uh, and they can play with or better than anybody in the league when they put their mind to it. Now, their style is very demanding. That's the only thing. I mean, if Vegas doesn't have success, it's because they haven't maintained their own identity. They haven't continued to play fast, north, south, heavy, um, because it's hard. You know, it's tough to sustain for 60 minutes. But, man, game one, it sure looked like that. And it is tough to play with expectations. I've been on that team as well. Um, you know they're there. You know everybody expects it. Um, and, and it's even more crushing if you come up short with it. But love the attitude from Vegas so far. They've, they've shown that they've been able to enjoy this, I think, as much as they can, even with all those expectations heaped on them. Yeah, good stuff. Well, listen, I, I can always tell you this, Mike, that whenever you and I chat, that my expectations are always met when you and I chat. So that's, <laughs> I, that is a credit to you. And you should give Mike a follow if you aren't already on Twitter, at MikeMcKenna56. And I want you to stay hydrated in that desert because my sense is that uh, you got a lot more Vegas Knights, uh, Golden Knights games ahead of you. So stay hydrated, and thanks for coming to hang out with us this morning. Anytime. And, and you're right. I, I, I think there's a pretty good chance – that this team in Vegas makes some hay, but hey, it's 2020. We never know what's going to happen. So excited to see it play out for sure. And I'll be slugging water like you won't believe because it is going to be 110 today. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my friend. Well, thank you for hanging out. My pleasure. Thanks, Scotty. All right. That was a treat and sets us up very nicely for yet another day of NHL playoff hockey. And in case you've got some time on your hands after listening to us, you should always check out Craig Custance and his excellent podcast, The Full 60, this week. Katie Strang and Richard Deitch join Craig to chat about 
some of the upheaval in the hockey broadcasting world. You should check that out. Jeremy Rutherford welcomes St. Louis Blues radio analyst and former player Joe Vitale as they deconstruct a disappointing end for the defending Stanley Cup champion Blues. You should always check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. Pierre Lebrun, the man, the legend, joins me tomorrow for our full-on Two Man Advantage podcast, so you won't want to miss that either. And then we'll be back Thursday and Friday morning to catch up on all of what is unfolding in the NHL world.